Welcome back to the week 13 edition of NBC Sports Edge's DFS Building Block Show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined by friend in life, Kyle Dvorak. Remember, we always do some lessons learned from the previous week, as we did Sunday night live halftime. The video is still available if you want to go back and recap some of those lessons learned from week 12. Otherwise, we'll move on to a new slate. We may hit on some of those as we move along here. But Kyle, as always, at the top of the slate, I just want to hear your thoughts on this decision point for week 13, since we have a few chalky players, quite a few actually, even though there are numerous pivots from Antonio Gibson and Foster Moreau, I could argue, and we will argue a lot of them as the show goes on, but I want to hear what you're doing, honestly, maybe so we're starting with my decision point, what you're doing with Antonio Gibson and Foster Moreau. Yeah, to me, that game, I think will end up being, uh, suspiciously too close in popularity because i think that's kind of generally the like the sort of for me the the decision point is like it's a really bland decision point to me it's just like where do you choose to allocate your chalk which is like that's the least i can say but i do think this week looks more so like most or not like these recent sort of high scoring weeks really the past like last year especially was like you know can you play 22 percent own patrick mahomes with 38 percent tyreek hill because they always get there the same with russell wilson this looks more like a 2017 slate where there are no incredibly high totals two of them are sitting right around 50 there's no 54 55 there's a bunch of viable games at 47 and then we also have good uh, good you know we have reasonable running back chalk and then you know a punt tight end right that's got all of the makings of just like here's a bunch of good plays no one stands out incredibly but there are a bunch of good plays you can't play all the good plays or you will just have no chance of winning. To me, the one of the easiest ways, as, as you brought up, uh, is probably just to rule out the Raiders game. It, to me, like that would be the least surprising game to be like well under its total, which is, is a good total. It's admittedly just as good, if not better, than all of the other games on the slate. But, I mean, we have games that feature Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford, and we have a game that features Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. To me, this one features Taylor Heineke, not that good. And Derek Carr, not as good as Stafford, not as good as Brady. So I don't know if that means I go to zero on Moreau, but it, it at least means I'm probably going pretty low on, at a minimum, Hunter Renfro. I won't play any Derek Carr. That probably has me just as a measure of correlation, though, also lower on Antonio Gibson. Because I think if there's any of the more popular spots that would fail, I think this one's probably more likely than, say, Tom Brady's sack. Even if they don't come in at the highest owned at their position, the issue even in Hunter Renfro is... My guess right now, Gibson, Renfro, Moreau are top two, top three at their position once all the dust settles. And so that's why it's even hard to get unique around them. I've been toying with Derek Carr, Deshaun Jackson, and Moreau with Gibson brought back. And that is a way to gain leverage, even just adding Derek Carr to Foster Moreau in general and then playing Gibson. That is a unique way to get exposure towards that Raiders Washington game but overall it just seems like one that everyone's going to come in on and especially in a slate where we have some afternoon games like Rams and Jaguars in particular getting on the Rams side with two 
questionable tags going into the afternoon for our flex slot so we can late swap. And Daryl Henderson, who seems like a true game time decision, they said he was going to play, but nonetheless also have mentioned Sonny Michelle taking more of a lead role. So even if Henderson's active, maybe just still late swapping to 4,300 Michelle if you need to, to get some leverage to get back in the green in the afternoon. Or taking Odell Beckham, who's also questionable down to the wire. Sounds like he's going to play, but how injured really is he? And if we think he's going to come in completely under rostered, then do you take on that injury risk? So I think leaning towards those directions in the afternoon is definitely the more intelligent way to play large field tournaments, perhaps some smaller field as well. Yeah, to me, especially like looking at the like the Raiders spot, like it seems like the highest floor, lowest ceiling possible team, the way they're structured. I mean, Hunter Renfro, tons of 15 point games, tons of 17 point games in the past, you know, since the start of the season was last week, but a single game over 20 points. Derek Carr's distributions are probably going to look pretty similar. Like, I, I think to me, it's a spot where I can totally see why in the median they project really well. A lot of times I did it this week. I will just run 150 lineups and, you know, sort of cap ownership, put some randomness in and four stacks. Just si try and simulate, like, if you're generally playing smart, but not super game theory respective, how would you build lineups? It's a lot, it's a decent amount of Derek Carr because if you force stacks, he has two of the better values. And then like Stafford, those are the two, I think, more popular, if not most popular. And then Tom Brady, like to me, I think there are ceilings that are like not limitless, but essentially in terms of what we can find, there are limitless ceilings to a Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford stack. Even if, you know, you throw Van Jefferson in there, the same with especially a Mike Evans, because I think Chris Godwin, we're doing it again this week. Chris Godwin, 30 some percent owned Mike Evans, 12, whatever, whatever the number is. Chris Godwin's going to be more popular. Every, every week we do it. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, every week. Happens every single week. It's so, I don't want to say frustrating because it's part of where I'm going to make my money, or at least where I think over the course of a season I will, but it's just insane that we do it every week. So I think there are like really good leverage spots, you know, throwing a, throwing the Van Jefferson or Tyler Higby into your Stafford spot, throwing even like maybe a Fournette Tom Brady, knowing how much Fournette can do as a pass catcher. And then Mike Evans, like, I think there are leveraged ways to build those two chalky spots. And I think they're just better spots because the quarterbacks are significantly better. How do you like Deshaun Jackson is the only way you could build like a, a highly leveraged Derek Carr lineup. And, and to me, I think you're probably better off going the other directions. And I love having as much possible money in the late slate, but like, you know, not just uh, like literal dollar wise, but like dollars of my salary wise in the later set of games. Cause exactly what you said, we have a lot of it like that. I, I, I hate that. I just thought of this. It will flip the slate on its head. If to use a term that is miserably overused on Twitter, it will flip the slate on its head if we get, you know, Henderson inactive or something like that. Among the running backs, we are expecting to be over 22, 23% rostered. Antonio Gibson, Elijah Mitchell, Jamal Williams, perhaps Jonathan Taylor, Alexander Madison. And this isn't even moving on segment. This is still sort of the decision point since everyone's sort of hovering around the same running backs. Is there one or two in particular you feel most confident in fading? Maybe not even for the micro-evaluation of their game, but just for the fact that it seems like everyone's going to hone in and thus you'll just play the other crop. Yeah, I think I'm not like super heavy stance on almost any of them, but like Jamal Williams' team has like a well below 20 implied team total. They're underdogs. And we saw last week, I don't want to say a ceiling, obviously, because he didn't score a touchdown, but I think we saw a reasonable projection of what he'll do. 15, 16, 17 carries for not that many yards. So he's not going to be incredibly efficient. 
And a lot of targets that he turns into also not that many yards. He, as, as all running backs do, still probably needs to find the end zone to have a ceiling outcome. Lions running back finding the end zone, especially when it's not DeAndre Swift. To me, that seems incredibly thin when like there are so many good. This is probably the slate with the most good running back plays. That's kind of where I'm fine playing chalky because I don't think you get anything crazy like a 30% chalk running back because you'll get some ownership on Williams versus, you know, Leonard Fournette on Williams versus James Conn or whatever. I think all of them probably make sense at their ownership. And for me, part of the decision point, I, I just, I, I gave the most bland decision point, but I do think it's more of a boilerplate. How do you choose to, I think, spend your ownership? If you want to think of it that way, you have certain ownership numbers you're trying to shoot for. I, I think you should probably be spending it at running back this week. I, I can't imagine spending it at wide receiver when there aren't these just like four to seven super obvious value plays at wide receiver. It's just a much more flat distribution of points at wide receiver. Why wouldn't you take the, you know, ownership isn't going to quite reflect that. So as we see, you know, bring it up again, Mike Evans versus Chris Godwin, their distribution looks probably pretty similar. I don't think they're that different. Evans, a little more spiky, probably a little less consistent, but overall, should he be half as popular as Godwin? No. And you can make that argument for Justin Jefferson versus some of the other expensive wide receivers. I think the Vikings, they have a pretty high implied team total. I believe it's fifth highest, maybe even fourth or third of the main slate, but they're going to be rostered as if they're, you know, a third or a fifth as good of an overall team to stack as say a Matthew Stafford Rams type of stack. So to me running back, I think it's probably the best way to allocate sort of your chalk if you want to sort of think of it in those terms and you were seeing in our dfs toolkit if you're watching the interactive show every friday 6 p.m eastern live the top six values i'm showing and points for dollar in the nbc sports edge toolkit having said that i also thought about madison and figured even though his salary was increased you could argue he should be an 8500 9k player on both sides fando did a good job in increasing him but again he should be more knowing that we saw him in two pass starts handle every single touch. Uh, 51 of 57 running back touches, all 15 running back targets. Cannot get game scripted out given those targets. Also, it's the Lions, so we're not worrying about him getting game scripted out anyhow. But just in case, he will still be there. Uh, that's why you made a good point on the Vikings offense being overlooked. Not even Kirk Cousins so much, but I've been tinkering with Alexander Madison and Justin Jefferson in the same lineup. We've seen the squeaky wheel narrative hit the past three games ever since OC Clint Kubiak mentioned that they should give Justin Jefferson the ball more. And in those games, his target share hasn't dipped below 28%. So what if we just get the touchdown equity? Yes, Thielen could easily crop up, but we know we want the higher ceiling player. And in playing Madison, you have to ask yourself how many people are truly going to also play either Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen. So I think ways like that are keys to unlock this slate because those are combos that no one, in my opinion, is going to use. Alexander Madison, you know, I'm pulling up ownership and he doesn't come like he's not unowned, right? But he's uh, right now I'm looking he's below Mitchell, Henderson, Fournette, Williams, and like two other players, right? Taylor, he comes in as not unrostered, but among what I'll just call the good plays, as in they project well for the salary you're spending to get their points, comes in as probably the least popular among the chalk, right? You know, he's probably in that middling range, let's say 10 to 15. And I find it completely absurd, baffling that people think that he has like any sort of increased risk of busting. I've heard multiple podcasts say like, oh, the guy just doesn't get there. He's had four starts in the past two seasons or season and a half, I guess, since the start. He has crushed in three of them. I have literally heard multiple podcasts say like, oh, well, you know, we, we all remember those times he busted. It literally happened once. He 
absolutely kills. He is literally Dalvin Cook whenever he takes over. And oftentimes you'll find that he projects better for Dalvin Cook because Dalvin Cook averages giving up three or four carries and a target or something to his backup, which is Alexander Madison. They're not going to use Kenny Nguyenwu like that. He literally is a kick returner. So to me, I think he should, like like you said, he could be an eight and a half K running back. He's underpriced and it's an awesome spot against the Lions and he will be the least popular among the popular running backs. So I think the Vikings offense as a whole and you can totally, as you said, especially in small field because you're not quite as worried. You don't need 30 and 40 points from half of your team. You're totally fine playing multiple players without even having Kirk Cousins in it. I think, you know, I said Jamal Williams. It's probably also a proxy of my affinity for Alexander Madison. Jamal Williams, probably my least favorite of the chalky running backs. Alexander Madison coming in as not the most popular among them. I kind of think he should be at least like he should be number two behind Jonathan Taylor. I think part of the problem is at 7,600, he is expensive enough that you will get people deciding between him and Taylor. It's hard to play both in a lineup, especially when Stafford and Brady stacks are the popular stacks. You'll say, I can only pay up for one running back. I'm going to take Jonathan Taylor. I'm going to take Leonard Fournette. Perfectly understandable, but is Madison going to be, you know, half as likely to have a GPP winning outcome? I don't think so, but he could be close to half. He could be two thirds the ownership of someone like Taylor. We're also showing that Jonathan Taylor obviously has the most projected points in our DPS toolkit. And I feel like Taylor is more of a free square than Antonio Gibson. Just the fact on DraftKings, let's just go there. 10-5 on FanDuel, but just on DraftKings in general, the fact they only increased his price by 100. Last week, he played the Bucks and he was 9,100. And it was the worst spot possible. And we saw his floor, nearly 20 touches, 94 yards and a touchdown. He got that as his floor, despite the fact that Colts, in one instance, passed 26 times in a row. And now they bump him up 100 more, only 100 He's- more against a defense like the Texans, who he already, earlier this year, he had in a in a much smaller role with Naheem Hines. Taylor already had five carries of 10-plus yards. He leads the league in carries of 10-plus yards. Like, this is a massive explosion spot. So why isn't he Christian McCaffrey? Like, why isn't he 10-2? Because that's what we're looking at here. So if we're ranking, like, the, the actual lock buttons, the free squares, like, I think Taylor is the free square because they messed up the algorithm. Yeah, I think I, Taylor's in such an incredible spot. It's part of the reason that like I, I'm pretty much comfortable never one-offing Chris Godwin and using Mike Evans as like direct leverage off of him. Gronkowski the same way to, I assume, like, you know, Taylor being the most popular running back, if not top two or three, and Godwin being among the three or four most popular wide receivers. That specific combo will be pretty popular. I can't imagine how you would play them both unless maybe you're including Godwin as part of a Brady stack. But like I said, just play Mike Evans instead. To me, using Taylor as one of the chalkier pieces of a lineup that then gets unique in different ways was probably how I would approach it just because he is like really getting to that, like maybe not quite to the receiving level, but how dominant he is as a runner plus being very useful as a receiver is getting to that team jam him in like McCaffrey at his peak and then David Johnson, like Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley. Like in the past four or five years, he's at that level the way he's playing right now. And like, how could Houston possibly manage to at least, sure, maybe he touchdown luck runs bad for him and he puts up 24 and you absolutely don't need him to win tournaments. But like you said, we saw his floor last week and his floor is so high. So yeah, he feels very free square despite being the price of a running back. It's usually not a free square. That is one of my plays, my favorite plays, the pl- the player I'm going to be over rostered on this week. What are your, for you, your favorite players whether it be for smaller field, larger field, contrarian options, just your favorite tournament options. Yeah, to me, I think both of probably Gronk, Mike Evans. I think the problem with Leonard Fournette is he gives you some sort of leverage off of Chris Godwin, but he in his own right will be 
pretty popular, I'd imagine. So Gronk, Evans, if both of them, you know, if they each score two touchdowns, you're probably not getting a good day from Chris Godwin, who will be, as I said, one of the more popular wide receivers. Or I, I think if you're not playing Jonathan, T- like assuming you run 10 lineups, right? That's not that many lineups, but I can't imagine. Would you run? I wouldn't run almost any player in all 10 of my lineups. Probably if you're not playing Jonathan Taylor, you have at that point made a stance in that specific lineup. You can make stances both for and against a player within a range of 10 lineups. Like, do you think that's because the Colts lose or don't put up a lot of points? I would think that's unlikely at that point, Michael Pittman, if you've made the decision that Jonathan Taylor isn't getting there in a tournament winning sense, Pittman is probably the reason he didn't get there. And Pittman is like pretty cheap as far as alpha wide receivers playing a terrible defense go at a 5,700 on DraftKings. So Michael Pittman, I think I will probably have just both overweight on him and Taylor because I think someone gets there from the Colts. Michael Pittman, totally acceptable, especially after 10 targets last week. We talked about this on the preview show, how he was his own worst enemy. His first three targets, he just dropped two of them. So it was mm-hmm. nothing like bad on the offense or Carson Wentz. It was literally just in Michael Pittman. It was his fault. So if I do not play Taylor, I would imagine that's the only place to go since we know the, the Jack Doyle pop-up isn't going to last. We're not worried about playing Jack Doyle in this spot. And I wish Rex Burkhead, I know we talked about this with David Johnson in large fields last week, but I do wish Rex Burkhead was a little cheaper. 4,800 when Sonny Michelle's 4,300 is pretty sick just because it looks like David Johnson is probably not going to play. So it'll only be Burkhead getting 20 plus touches against Ann Royce Freeman, who was active last week in his first game with the Texans, didn't get a single touch. So even if he's involved, I can't imagine it's that much. Sounds like it's just going to be all Burkhead in negative game scripts. So I don't even think like that run back for larger fields is that bad. But yeah, that's where I stand right now with Taylor. Fournette, to me, is a totally fine pivot. It's just not the same condensed slate where we need to pivot from Brady. The Bucks will naturally come in more under-rostered, not only for flop lag, not only because they failed last week, but just because there are so many other ways to go, whether it be the Rams, you know, the Vikings we already talked about, the Bengals are interesting. Um, maybe people get on the Raiders as well plus like Lamar. So I, I just think naturally everyone is not going to hone in on the Bucks like last week when that was genuinely the only place to go on the main slate at the top. So there's no need to get point chasey with Fournette and four touchdowns. I think you can just naturally get to Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Gronk, Brady by yourself and just maybe not contrarian, but playing two and three, I would think will still be contrarian in the slate as long as you don't stack two of the, the highest roster running backs with them. Yeah, to me, this also feels like a slate where I'm probably less inclined to run some of these spots back, especially because when you look at, uh, like, specifically the Bucks, like, they're the highest pass rate. They're one of the highest pass rate teams over expectation in the league. They don't really need the Falcons to put up a ton of points or even that many points at all, really, to get there. And the most probable run back option would be Cordero Patterson. But I still think when you look at his price range, Patterson is, you know, not the caliber of play that someone like a Madison is, that someone like a Leonard Fournette is. And if you're looking for the same amount of points as Patterson, you can probably just go down to someone like Eli Mitchell. So to me, Antonio Gibson, same type of build. So it's difficult to me to really find a way to build highly projected runbacks. The only possible option is Kyle Pitts, who I really struggle to see if he's that popular only because he has been wildly disappointing for what feels like a very long stretch of time. And I feel like at some point, you know, the, uh, the whole DFS public does end up breaking on these players, despite his peripheral still looking pretty good. I mean, he saw, I believe six targets last week. He's top three among tight ends and air yards. He's used just like a wide receiver. The problem is when you're a rookie and you're the only wide receiver, if you just call him that on your team worth caring about for opposing defenses, 
It's quite difficult to get open. The Bucks, though, are a team that passing attacks have gotten home against. They do also funnel, I believe, a top 10 tight end target share to opposing tight ends. So Kyle Pitts may be an interesting run back. And if you do anything other than play Foster Moreau, especially as you move up in stakes because those players will be playing closer projections, playing literally anything other than Foster Moreau is going to be contrarian. Like at the at the spy, what do you think Foster Moreau is? Like 30 plus percent? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And he's a good yeah. play. He there is a good play. But, but that's sure. that's kind of why I love Logan Thomas. Like not only same game, not only same position, but now where you're expecting Logan Thomas to be back what he was the first three games and playing every single snap after he was somewhat limited. 28 routes, still not really that limited, but like we imagine he gets there back to a complete player this game. And like no one's going to see it coming because everyone's going to play Foster Moreau. So I do think like Logan Thomas is awesome. There's just, there are a lot of good players you can put with your stacks. Like in large fields, if someone went Brevin Jordan with Jonathan Taylor, like so be it. It's a onesie position. Don't care. If Ram stacks on slots, if someone went James O'Shaughnessy, so be it. Get your DraftKings points and get the hell out of there. Like I think there are a lot of like cute tight ends you can go in this slate and be just fine with it. Also on my roster players outside of Jonathan Taylor, I think it's such a good week for, you already touched on it, but like players that we know are going to be in the field who have failed us in the past. It just seems like they're all going to come in overlooked. Uh, It takes a leap of faith, but Elijah Moore, I think is a very good play, especially because like Miles Sanders on the other side of the ball, if Boston Scott is also ruled out, Miles Sanders is such an awesome play. No one wants to play him. He's pretty much T Higgins at this point at running back. And if it's only Kenneth Gainwell and Miles Sanders, I dare Nick Sirianni to look me in the face and say he's actually going to use Kenneth Gainwell. He will not reach that level. So I, I love Miles Sanders. I love Elijah Moore, Miles Sanders, skinny stacks. And we're not jumping segments, but I just love both those players. I love Marquise Brown because no one's going to come on on him. And, and Lamar does have seven picks, I believe, is in three weeks in a row now. But nonetheless, like Marquise Brown is still just an awesome play that no one's going to get on because everyone's obsessed with uh, all the other receivers in his range. And then I think Darnell Moody is probably going to be the most popular among those options, but Darnell Moody and James Conner also are just amazing plays. And I bet James Conner gets steamed because right now he seems like the sneaky guy fresh off a season high share backfield Hmm. touches before the bye with Kyler Murray, perhaps DeAndre Hopkins. Everyone just thinking, okay, he's in that Gibson range. He's only 200 more. No one's going to see that coming. I bet he does get steamed by the sharper fields. But nonetheless, like Darnell Mooney and James Conner, that's awesome. So like, I, I like all those players who are just, I, in my opinion, just going to go overlooked for what the rest of the slate is shaping up to be, not for what they're doing. Yeah, one player, players, I guess you threw out were Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown. Could also throw Mark Andrews in there because I literally think any tight end that Foster isn't Foster Moreau is at least probably, like, assuming they're, like, a reasonably projected, not a complete nobody. They're not Tommy Tremble or whatever. I guess Tommy Tremble's team isn't even playing this week. Assuming they're out there playing a reasonable amount of of snaps and getting some targets, almost, like, like Foster Moreau is the iconic play. Jam him in cash, obvious, most obvious cash play. And if he goes six for 40 and doesn't score the touchdown, like, slightly less efficient than the last time we saw, which I believe he had exactly 660 and one. If he goes... Six for 40, he's probably not winning you any GPPs. You certainly could win with him, but he is not the reason you got there. Whereas if another tight end scores twice or something like that, or Kyle Pitts gets over the 100-yard bonus, something of that nature, that player will be winning you GPPs. So 
to me. I totally get why you're playing him, but I'm already sort of making my decision to be off of that game. That probably includes Moreau, who will be the most popular tight end by a pretty considerable margin. But Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown, I think this will probably be one of the lower ownership numbers we've seen Lamar Jackson come in at because his team does admittedly have a lower implied team total, just under 25 points. That's not the most enticing, but this Pittsburgh defense just continues to look more and more disappointing. They're also pretty banged up. So I think... It totally makes sense anytime you get low on Lamar Jackson to just play more than the field of that spot. Afternoon as well, right? I believe so. Yeah, I can check, but yeah, they are so indeed you, you four, 425 kick. Yeah, you can load it up as well and pivot if you need to off your 1 p.m. chalk. And not only that, but like all of the, except Rossberger, like remember, Leone, Mike Leone of ETR took down the 50K, took down the Thunderdome with Rossberger stacks last week because of what the slate allowed. We, we talked about it, how Tom Brady was the only one worth paying up for, thus you could get ugly. And he got ugly to allocate the salary elsewhere. It wasn't even about the micro play of, is Ben Rossberger a good player? Is he in a good spot? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. It's about what Ben Rossberger allows me to do. And that's how he got there. I think Ben Rossberger, like the weapons are totally fine in this game. They're all safe. Deontay Johnson, take the floor in any, any Lamar stacks. Chase Claypool, take the potential ceiling in any Lamar stacks. Firemuth, take your eight targets and get the hell out of there in any Lamar stacks. Like, you could plug any of those guys in, and genuinely, their floors are totally fine. Could you play Ben Rousberger this week? I Like, it's a pretty bad play, but his, like, you know— I haven't got there yet, but— uh, he's going to get 40 plus attempts. I haven't got there, but he's going to get 40 plus. Attempts. He also faces, I believe the defense giving up the most passing yards per game in the league. And it is a pretty obvious spot where both teams can end their passing attack to two players. I guess three, if you, you know, Pat Firemuth, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, and then just worth playing at least just Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. So if the stack does hit, you pretty much lock it up. Like you, if you play it four different ways, you can cover almost every combination, Ben Roethlisberger is terrible. He's no longer good at football. It's been a while since he was good at football. But another spot where, especially with, I think, the best running backs in terms of value are still often expensive. Jonathan Taylor, even as we talked about, he's a free square and he's like 9K or whatever. That still makes him a very good value, despite the price. Alexander Madison could be an 8,500 running back playing just a cheap, grimy, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, running back with Marquis still probably gives you the salary to pay up for multiple running backs. I can't, oh man, this is like going to be the, one of the dumbest things I've done all year. The way you just described it, I thought about it. And it's like, oh, but if you play Rothsberger, you can play with the two obvious options and Claypool and Deontay. And then you can play chalk running backs because it doesn't matter from that point forward because no one else is building around a Rothsberger stack. So you've, I, Rothsberger has to be like sub 1% on like all contests. No one is playing him. Rightfully so. He's bad. Not bad. <laughs> but it's not, man, it's, it's not a terrible idea, especially because. I've been leaning Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, and we'll get to a couple other stacks along the way. What situation are you most confident fading this week? For me, I think it is, when you look at the top, we, we already talked about who's going to be rostered most, particularly at one position. Knowing that Jermichael Hasty's back, I think I'm most confident fading Elijah Mitchell. Famous last words. Because, you know, we try to get away from running backs who don't catch the ball. And yes, two of his last three games, he does have five targets, but both came without Jermichael Hasty, or at least one that he got injured in as well. And so we don't think that pass catching ceiling is there. Yes, he could have, he, he could shove this down my throat and he could have 35 carries in this game. Like Seattle's offense, literally since Russ returned, is averaging 19 and a half minutes time of possession per game. It is terrible. They are not sustaining drives. They're not scoring 
They're not running good plays. They're not literally, they're not doing anything right on offense whatsoever. So maybe the 49ers just sustain long drives the entire time. But also like maybe play volume, maybe time of possession is all sucked up. So there aren't many plays to begin with and it's all slow drives. So I, I think Elijah Mitchell among that group is the one I'm most confident fading this week. Yeah, it's a good argument. I think for me, I am probably less confident in overall fading any of the popular running backs because they just project well, but he would make sense. Him and Jamal Williams to me would be, especially Jamal Williams for me, but I understand especially the non-pass catching argument that you're making because exactly, I did actually, I've been watching Hasey's injury reports. I do think that makes a pretty considerable difference in the target share. You could still get there on the ground. He's inexpensive enough that 102 touchdowns does it for him. That's probably not even enough for Taylor. Like You really need him to crush, but I think he really will crush. So I do think there's an argument that without the pass catching, if he just goes 90 or he doesn't find the end zone, there are avenues for him to fail. For me, Derek Carr is kind of just an easy one. He is, I think he's a pretty good real life quarterback, but I don't think this game is that, that close really to like to the Tampa Bay side, specifically of the Tampa Bay game. And we've seen Carr is a very prototypical, low ceiling, high floor quarterback. He has zero 30 point games this year. He had one last year, zero the year before that zero the year one the year before that like he's averaging one explosive game a year and right now his best like his best explosive playmaker is a banged up sean jackson like i I think it's a sensible spot to say if Carr puts up 22 and renfro puts up 18 and moreau puts up 12 you can survive that that combination of players isn't needed to win a gpp and i think that's probably the most likely outcome that we see and if you're just also not playing gibson on the other side another easy way to just avoid a, a big block of chalk like the idea is not that i think any of these individual players are bad plays it's that if say car fails probably the entire offense failed so you have i'm like using correlation against my opponents essentially what is your favorite or have you even thought of it team stack without the quarterback like are you is there an offense you're definitely trying to soak up the points for bucks and rams of course the only two teams in this slate who have team totals over 30 and so that's why i've been trying to figure out okay do i play godwin and evans without brady and then maybe try to fournette backdoor the rams touchdowns with michelle like i'm trying to work my way into how do i cover all my bases with the good offenses right now I think a really good one would be if Michelle, if Henderson doesn't play Michelle, because he's he's just not expensive enough, obviously, if he's going to have the entirety of the backfield on a team that has a very high implied team total and is pretty pretty favored against a very truly dismal opponent. 13 point, an open at nine and a half, apparently. Obviously, that got that up to well over double digits. Yeah, I think it would be pretty clearly a Michelle and anyone else on the team Cooper Cup. Right now, Odo Beckham also, I believe, going into this game questionable. Team has kind of talked about him. They think he'll play, but I wouldn't be shocked if he suffered a setback or they were just lying. Teams can do that sometimes. So to me, it's probably the Rams just on how they would project. And because if we don't get the Daryl Henderson or Odo Beckham, that would make Van Jefferson, I think, even a little bit more appealing. If we don't get that news till after after the 1 p.m. games lock, we know, especially at the lower and mid stakes, our opponents aren't abusing that in the way they should. I would I would like late swap to almost as much as much as my lineups allowed me to I would late swap to Sony Michelle and I wouldn't be worried about swapping off whatever amount of cup Van Jefferson or Odo Beckham if active I had I think maybe with a possible role change you could even build Sony Michelle into your lineups and pr- not even prepare to late swap just prepare to say no matter what happens here even if Henderson's active like we are going with 4300 Michelle to save the salary and then if Henderson's active hopefully no one else is on him and just hope for the best that may be the way to approach that in general. And then, yeah, Cooper Cup, I think 
Odell Beckham, we talked about it as well. Like even just playing Odell Beckham, who's going to be under roster because of the injury is just fine. Cause really like if he didn't have the injury, also that salary is wrong. Like 5,600 for a player who played every single snap last week, ran as many routes as Van Jefferson and Beckham. They just mirrored one another in a heavy dose of 11 personnel with only Tyler Higby on the field. So like they're all essentially the same receivers. Cup keeps getting it done in garbage time, but like, of course, Jefferson, as we saw, and Beckham could spike instead. So playing two of their receivers, honestly, especially since Beckham and Jefferson are so cheap, is kind of the way I'm leaning right now. And then, as we talked about, Evans over Godwin, because it looks like Godwin will again come in 20 to 25% more rostered than Mike Evans. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what other teams. I think for the most part, if I'm playing two pass catchers on a team, I've almost certainly committed to playing their quarterback. I'm trying to think in what scenarios I would not do that. I think... Arguably, you could do it with like a Lamar Jackson as your quarterback. At that point, though, the two pass catchers you're playing are probably pretty cheap, so I'm not sure who those would even be. But for the most part, if you've assumed that two wide receivers from an individual team go off, it's really highly likely that their quarterback goes off. It would be the type of roster construction you need. Either another quarterback, i.e. Lamar Jackson, goes for 42, and you cannot afford to not have him. Or you can't afford to play the exact quarterback. Like say Mike Evans and Chris Godwin both go off, but also Jonathan Taylor drops 50 again. At that point, you're probably drawing pretty thin to have a Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Jonathan Taylor, and Tom Brady lineup. So maybe at that point, you do play one of the cheap quarterbacks. Although I think the cheap quarterbacks will kind of be popular, like especially Derek Carr. And I think to a lesser extent, Tua kind of filled that role. Easy stacking options. They have good value wide receivers and they let you play the quote good plays. But I think for that reason, that's why I'm not playing either of them. I'm trying to build in a different sort of uh, build to my lineup. If it's, uh, you know, if it's playing Ben Roethlisberger, so be it. What about your favorite sneaky stacks or stacks in general of this slate? Yeah, we touched on it earlier, but I'll just reiterate. The Minnesota Vikings, I think, have as good a chance of leading the slate in scoring as anyone who isn't really, you know, Tom Brady, Matt Stafford, right? The two obvious plays. But at that point, they have a 27 implied team total. The, the Colts just over that 27 and a quarter, and then everyone else is below them. So they actually, I mean, literally, they do have the, if you tie them with the Colts, they essentially have the third highest chance of leading the slate in scoring. And I think they're going to be less popular than in a minimum, Brady, Stafford, probably both sides of Bengals versus Chargers. And then at that point, probably still Derek Carr as well. I think he'll be at most the seventh owned quarterback. But his implied team total says, at least in terms of the overall raw scoring value, if you say a lot of that goes to Madison, then maybe you change your calculation. But the raw scoring value of his team is third, essentially, on the slate in terms of just how many points we expect them to put up. And his ownership, Justin Jefferson's ownership, even if you want to use Tyler Conklin, hoping he just finds the end zone and gets to 60, he matches the the Foster Moreau stat line, but with an extra touchdown, plus one to whatever Foster Moreau scored. Perfectly fine way to build a really high leverage lineup. And at that point, you can probably just go back to playing chalk. We haven't talked about Joe Mix on the Bengals, but Bengals passing game is one of my favorite sneaky stacks. And it's pretty obvious. You run it back with Keenan Allen, who has double-digit targets now in five of his last six games. But overall, just pivoting off of Joe Mixon, who I feel like everyone is also going to try and play and pay up for, and going to the passing attack instead. Maybe we're not at the point with Jamar Chase just yet where we reach with T. Higgins, where although all the rates had not dropped, The interest in general had dropped, and thus that's why everyone then who was winning tournaments played him last week. But it seems like a a time where I don't think many tournament players are still going to be on Jamar Chase. And 
We know Burrow's outstanding numbers against the Blitz this year, 11 yards per attempt, 13 touchdowns. And Brandon Staley has scaled it back when necessary against quarterbacks who have performed well against the Blitz, only at a 18 and 19% rate in weeks three and four, for instance, against Patrick Mahomes and Derek Carr. So maybe knowing Burrow's great against the Blitz, he scales it back since they've been at a top 10 rate all year and top 12 over the last month. But overall, like if we get any pushback, if we get a, a team trailing, then no matter what the Bengals want to do, they're not going to run the ball. That would be fireworks for the Bengals passing game. So I still like leaning that way. And I genuinely thought a lot more people were going to be talking about or interested in Burrow by the end of the week. And it still could happen by Sunday. But right now I'm not hearing much interest around their passing game. And so I think I like Burrow and Burrow stacks and the Keenan Allen run back quite a bit. Yeah, I think that side is probably the preferable side. Just looking at ownership projections, we have, we, I, I am looking at a few different sites, all have Justin Herbert as like roughly a top five, top six quarterback, whereas Joe Burrow comes in pretty much middling around that Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz type of area. So yeah. I think if you're looking at a side of this game, and I think the fact that Joe Mixon probably will be popular, not the most popular, because like I said, it's hard with the top stacks of the of the week being also the more expensive ones, your, your Brady's, your, your Stafford's. I think it's hard to get, both, you know, any two mix and match Taylor plus any of Mixon, Alexander Madison, any of the other expensive sort of Austin Eckler. So I think Mixon comes in as modestly popular, but just getting leverage off of that and then going to Chase, who I think will be super unpopular as far as the expensive wide receivers go, is a like both of these teams, you know, the spread isn't that far apart. It could be a back and forth affair where both teams score a similar amount of points, but you will get far less ownership on, on the side of the specifically if you use Jamar Chase. I think T. Higgins, after one good week, will project well again and people will probably go back to playing him. Chase had a few down weeks, despite he still, since T. Higgins came back in week five, has something like nearly 40% of the team's air yards and 24% of the targets. Like, he's still playing Jamar Chase. He's just not running hot on yards per target, which is hard to do in consecutive weeks. So I think that side of the game makes a ton of sense. And going Mike Williams over Keenan Allen on the other side, like, I don't think people go back to Mike Williams. I know we've seen, especially at the mid-six where I'm trying to get my action at, I don't think we see near as much as the leveling as where anytime Keenan Allen projects well, which is usually, he usually projects well for his price. Mike Williams gets the silent boost from the GPP bros. I'm not sure if we see that as much this week, just because I think this game isn't the most popular where people won't be thinking about it in that way. Anthony mentions Jawan Jennings' dart throw, and I think it's acceptable. I think it's fine. You know, thin leverage off Elijah Mitchell, but it's just fine knowing that Ayuk will probably be a top five roster player, thinking that's how you get off Elijah Mitchell. And so Juwan Jennings, 3,100 on DraftKings in particular, I think is totally fine. Probably wouldn't do it on FanDuel, even though like just in getting two end zone targets last week, touchdowns are how we catch up and get our points on FanDuel. So may maybe honestly at Stoneman price, it would be okay. Also some, some salary savers I think are also fine are Josh Reynolds in any Viking stack because, you know, especially if you're betting against Jamal Williams, then Josh Reynolds is there for 3,400. You know what you're getting, 22-yard depth of target, four targets per game since he joined Detroit. So basically, Deshaun Jackson, we have more confidence in Deshaun Jackson, but that's what it is. It's boomer bust. I think he's totally fine for large fields. 3,400, you're trying to save salary anyways. And then not on DraftKings, I was shocked when I saw his price on DraftKings. But on FanDuel, I think Russell Gage, honestly, over Kyle Pitts, as crazy as it is. One, they have no idea Kyle Pitts is on the team. One red zone target since Calvin Ridley's been out is literally offensive to me. I don't, and my family, they weep. They don't want to hear it anymore. But Russell Gage, quietly, seven targets in three of his last four games without Calvin Ridley. 
seems like whereas we thought it was because he was Russell Gage, that three target zero catch game was actually an anomaly. Like that's the receiver they lean on now and use Kyle Pitts as a decoy to get defenders away from Russell Gage. So I actually think on FanDuel, Russell Gage is totally fine and acceptable run back in any buck stacks. Yeah, who am I? Who am I to talk? What a what a hypocritical thing to say. Go go out there, go off Russell Gage. He, you're right though. I do think just the way that, especially knowing how pass heavy teams are against the Bucks. I know this is true a few weeks ago, but if you just took the average Bucks opponent pass rate over expectation, it's like six percentage points higher than the Bucks, who are the highest pass rate team over expectation in the NFL. They mo- they make their defense makes opposing offenses look like Bucks plus right in terms of just how much they skew towards the pass, both because they're beatable at least more so through the air than they are on the ground because they have probably the most st- like the most stingy ground game in the league but also because the bucks put up a lot of points so i think especially because uh i think yeah there's at least some chance that we just go out and see i don't want to say wide receiver one russell gage but like they're not throwing like tasha sharp or triple covered kyle pitts probably not happening all right let's go and move on to the last segment of the show we're going to touch on a lot here karyakian loose notes I've run through my brain when building lineups this week, and it's been an absolute mess. I know your answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways, because this is the this is the safe tree. This is the safe zone. Can you flex Moreau to get sat to save salary, or is that too thin with so many good running back options for flex this week? That's a good point. There are like more running backs on this slate that project as very good values than most other slates really ever because we just have so many players jumping into larger than expected roles based on the pricing. I still think you can probably do it. Yeah, I mean, you can do it. Moreau still projects as one of the better values just because he's so incredibly cheap. Obviously, the floor on tight ends on DraftKings is 2,500 where the floor on running backs is uh, 4K, 4,500, whatever. 4K, I think, 45? I don't know. Yeah, the fact that he's so cheap and projects to play like, you know, a PPR-style wide receiver role, like a Jarvis Landry-level role, it's viable. You like, I wouldn't chastise anyone for doing it. I won't, but I, I think it's easier for like this is what I did with Gronk last week. We saw on the recap show. It's just easier if you break your brain and like put Gronk or whomever, uh, George Kittle in the flex instead. Cause that's like convincing yourself it's a receiver in your flex. Like, okay, I can get away with that. <laughs> it's not actually a tight end, even though the position list tight end. So when I say Moreau, it's just like, okay, can we flex a tight end? Because that's how we save salary in the slate. Yeah, it's can we flex 2,700 Russell Gage or whatever, right? If Russell Gage was that cheap, we'd be like, I don't care if he's the lowest ceiling player ever. Dude, he's 2,700. I, swear, it's like the same I thing. thought he was going to be 3,400, and I looked up and he was 5,200. I said, what is going on? Week 13, 2021 season. Why is Russell Gage 5,200? That's why FanDuel only. Where are your thoughts, if any, on Jalen Hurts? He's not going to be played. Touched. I know passing touchdowns are hard to come by, but like it is the Jets. It could be a couple like bunny rushing touchdowns here in this spot. I think even playing him naked is somewhat interesting. What do you think about Jalen Hurts? It's fine. I don't think it'll be that popular. My, like the obvious concern, I'm not telling anyone anything they probably haven't thought about on, on their own, is the fact that he's dealing with what's it the ankle injury, right? And that specifically would hurt him more than most other quarterbacks because we garner so much of his value from his rushing production. But like, that's the reason he's going to be super unpopular. And we know his ceiling. Like we talk about, you know, ceiling potential projections. His ceiling, even if he's banged up, is still going to be something that is completely unparalleled by like a Derek Carr or Tua Tagovailoa. So yeah, it makes sense. I, you know, I, I've talked about Ben Roethlisberger. I certainly can't tell anyone not to play Jalen Hurts, who I think the injury keeps his ownership 
considerably low. And the fact that he got absolutely doused last week, quite a, a poor performance from him, but that will, for our purposes, only serve to keep his ownership low. Jalen Waddle has averaged 10 targets in his last five full starts. If we take away that terrible week one offensive performance against the Patriots where we knew the Dolphins would fail. But Jalen Waddle, 10 targets per game in his last five starts with Tua that they both finished the game. A cash game play weekly, but still seems like he's not getting much intrigue for tournaments, even though we know the floor is there and we essentially know this is a smash spot for a pass-heavy team against a banged-up, in particular, Giants offense that just won't carry their weight at all. So that's probably why everyone's going to be off on Jalen Waddle. Where do you rank Jalen Waddle among your tournament plays? Right now, I'm looking at his ownership. He's middling. Like, he's around. He's just about to crest double digits. So I think he's fine. I think that's probably the equilibrium point. I did think, though, that especially I also saw, like, a little bit of, you know, on a podcast or two and also just ownership projections to a drawing some ownership, like, in that Kirk Cousins range. i just much rather have someone like Kirk. So I'm not Xing him out, although I'm not, like, I'm not dying to boost him, especially we don't know Devontae Parker's practice status, correct? He hasn't officially been activated from IR, so I have no clue. Like, do you know if he's playing? Supposedly he's playing, but... I believe he's been practicing. Yeah. Ray Summerall and I, we we co-work the new shift on Friday with Kareem. We all scoured the interweb and there is no reporting on Devontae Parker. That seems to have been lost by all the Dolphins beat reporters. I think he's going to play. I believe I saw last week he's been practicing and he's eligible to come off, but genuinely no clue right now. Yeah, he returned to practice on Wednesday, and that means he had his 21-day window opened if, like, obviously— Which we also know means absolutely nothing this year. Yeah, if the team— could still be three weeks away. Exactly. All it means is the team thinks he is within a three-week window to play. It does not in any way mean that he'll come back this week. A lot of players do come back, and they still just give them, you know, the next 10 days or whatever to return. All we know is that it means they think he's within three weeks to play. If he comes back, does that, I I would assume that has to, in some sense, lower your interest in Jalen Waddell. And I don't think the field reacts to those sort of— I'd say semi-nuanced, you know, changes in target share, especially when we'll find out Saturday night. You know, we'll find out Sunday morning from a Schefter bomb at 4 a.m. Yeah, I think it does change my interest. But then, you know, the way this the way this works is that everyone's interest has changed. And so uh, then my interest has changed again back the other way. It's like, oh, okay, let me, let me think about this. I'm still thinking about it. I, I don't know if I'll get there, but I do think it's a good spot now that he's going to be, like you said, around 9%, whereas last week in mid-stakes, he was 18%. And it was a good play then too. And so now just like no changes, maybe everyone now doesn't play him. So I'll have to think on it. The Colts, we already touched on it a little bit, but you're saying that no runbacks, no Carson Wentz. If you don't play Jonathan Taylor, you would play Michael Pittman as leverage. That's about it. I think arguably- Basically naked Michael Pittman. uh, Yeah, I'd be fine naked Michael Pittman. I do think like- I think you could play Carson Wentz. I don't think he'll be that popular team. Like I said, you know, has the third highest implied team total basically neck and neck with the Vikings. And I don't think he's that popular. Although I, I probably think he ends up just because people see that they're playing the Texans. It's an easy matchup and they know that they have been recently putting up points. You probably like, I think they'll probably draw more ownership than the Vikings stacks would, but that's a pretty soft lean. I don't think there's like a, a that meaningful of a difference. Yeah. You could play Carson Wentz. Uh, like, are you stacking him with anyone other than Pittman, though? Like you said, Jack Doyle, we've seen this before. He randomly runs, you know, leads the team in routes. And then the next week, Molly Cox scores the only red zone touchdown the team throws or whatever, right? So T.Y. Hilton's still, you know, just as old and dusty as always, not really drawing a meaningful amount of targets since he's returned from injury after returning from another injury. So 
I don't know how you could double stack Wentz, which is kind of the problem is that he's still, I think the way he gets there is throwing three touchdowns in 300 yards, but like, you're not going to capture all of that with his receivers. I'd imagine because one of them will randomly go to, you know, Mo Ali Cox or whatever. You would have to talk yourself into the T Y Hilton versus Houston narrative. And I, I Oh boy, that's a good I, one. Though. I, I hate team narrative. I hate teams. Yeah. Play, it's so. a, it's a, it is a good, bad narrative. It is a very, I mean, he fun. does it every time, but that's why you have to convince he does yourself it. to no interest. I'm just guessing in Seattle players since Elijah Mitchell, Ayuk, George Kittle, all good leverage or plays in general, no interest on an offense that no one's going to be on. I, I thought about it. I, I was actually going to ask you that because you know what? We have three bad games from Russell Wilson in the past three weeks. And we have how many years have been in the league, like eight or whatever of just hyper efficient, massive ceiling potential games. Does that mean that we have any chance of seeing that this week? It doesn't seem like it. Vegas would seem to say no. One of the lower implied or one of the lower overall over unders. Also Seattle, one of the lower, at least among the like fantasy relevant teams, implied team totals. Probably like, you know, that's the, the sharpest way to measure, you know, expected team performance is just look at Vegas. That's where the most money is going to be. That's where the most efficient projections are at the broadest level, obviously projections. That is Vegas doesn't seem to think Russ has any chance of coming back. So I probably shouldn't either. Although like you tell me, not that expensive Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, or Gerald Everett, who, who's been playing a pretty meaningful role in recent weeks. You can throw it in the Millie Maker if you want. I actually think it's probably positive expected value in the really large field tournaments. Honestly, like we talk about Rossberger, like that's your late swap offense. Like you get the Rams in place, you get the Raiders and Washington in place, your chalk on 1 p.m. fails, you just swap to Russ, DK, and Lockett because no one else is going to play them. It's like, that's that's the play. They'll all be 1% or 2%, and then you cross your fingers and don't watch the game. Yeah, I'll keep that in my back pocket. I will, obviously, if I run more than one lineup, even if I run one lineup, I will probably have a lineup that is very far behind. You know, I fade, right, I fade, I assume, you know, the Vikings play at the 1 p.m. slate. I run my Kirk Cousins double, and I don't play Jamal Williams. I'm like, oh, they're going to get behind and throw to Josh Reynolds, right? Williams goes at 30%. He gets steamed all of a sudden. Goes for 120 and two touchdowns. At that point, that Russ is the perfect way to claw your way back to min cash equity. We touched on some cheap quarterbacks already, but do you have a stance on Jimmy Garoppolo? Because I thought about it for a little bit. It seems like every time we do get on Jimmy Garoppolo in a good spot, he doesn't get there because there are always other intricate ways that players get there. But I, I do think Jimmy Garoppolo is in another good spot. I, I just may not get there. Yeah. Do you think like I, I, he still projects reasonably well. He's not terrible. And the fact that his offense back again, I assume to just three players, but I like to me, I feel like I have heard a lot of writing off the fact that Debo, it's like, Oh, just throw Juwan Jennings. in. he's actually a decent value. He almost got two. I don't know if you know this. He almost got two touchdowns last week. The loss of Debo seems to be horrific to me. Like he was very clearly the team's best overall player. Like he's averaging over a hundred yards per game from scrimmage. You rule him out as wide receiver and he just rushes for two. I feel like that should have a more negative impact in the minds of DFS players than we are giving it credit for. I mean, he was literally one of the two or three best wide receivers, even if in recent weeks he had been almost like transitioned to running back for brief periods of time. He was like one of the best wide receivers in the league through 12 weeks, and we're losing him and saying, oh, well, you know, just George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, right? I don't know if it works like that, like especially when we believe at the wide receiver position more so your talent is indicative of your ability to draw targets, whereas like running backs, like, 
Jamal Williams is going to see the same level of work as DeAndre Swift. It probably doesn't equal the same level of talent. Like I, I don't have any confidence that we see, or at least I have far less confidence that we see the high efficiency, albeit relatively low volume, often passing attack that we've seen in throughout most of the year because Debo Samuel is just that good. So I, I, if Debo were healthy for this game and playing, I'd probably say, yeah, just go ahead, throw Debo, Brandon, I, Debo, George Kittle. But I actually think it hurts the offense a pretty considerable amount just because of how well he has played this year. And with that, any other final words on this slate? No, I don't think so. I think we covered, I, dude, we got to Ben Roethlisberger. Of course, I, I shouldn't have any final words. I mean, now I thought I was down to Burrow and Cousins and now suddenly I have Ben Roethlisberger to legitimately think about among other things. So yeah, we will leave you with that. Thank you everyone for joining week 13. As always, we would be back Sunday live at halftime to recap the disaster that is stacking Ben Rossberger. Until then, good luck this week. He is at Kyle Tweets here, Kyle Dvorak on Twitter. I am John Daigle at not J Daigle on Twitter. Again, good luck this week. Week 13, we're almost there. A few slates left. We're going to take one down.